Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Intentional Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by Nicholas Cole, also known only by his last name, Cole. Cole is one of the most prolific writers on the internet today. He's also an author who has written a number of books, mainly on the topic of writing. And he's an entrepreneur who has started and run several businesses, including Ship 30 for 30, an online writing cohort-based educational business that has taught thousands of people to write online. If this all sounds familiar, it is. I had Cole's business partner, Dickie Bush, on the podcast back on episode number 14. The focus of this conversation is how and why you might want to consider building an audience online. 90% plus of people online are in consumption mode only. Scroll, 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 view, 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 never contribute anything. And they are potentially leaving a lot of opportunities and even money on the table by not growing an audience themselves. I trust Cole's expertise and opinion on this subject as much as anyone's. And in this conversation, we dive deep into things like what topics should you write about and how narrow should your niche be, how to find time to do it, especially when you got a million other things going on in your life, what platforms to publish on, which can be confusing, and even how AI might help you do all of this. So if you are someone who has a lot of ideas, a lot of value in your head, but has never really translated that into content for others to consume, whether it's business-related topics or more personal ones like fitness or even parenting advice, well, this episode is for you. We break it all down for you and we make it super easy. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by my friends at Athletic Brewing Company. If you are a regular listener to this podcast or subscriber to my newsletter, you already know that I am a massive fan of Athletic Brewing Company. Their non-alcoholic brews have been a major part of my own success, living an alcohol-free lifestyle for a year now. I just passed the one-year mark. Um, I'm a big fan of both the quality and variety of the brews that they have on offer, everything from IPAs to Goldens and extra dark brews and sours. It really runs the gamut, uh, which helps to keep things interesting. I also love that you can get it delivered straight to your door from athleticbrewing.com. That's super convenient. Personally, I like to mix and match, and I'm always trying out their latest brews while also sticking to some staples, which for me are Upside Dawn, classic craft golden style brew and athletic light which tastes great and only has 25 calories and five carbs so someone trying to live a healthy lifestyle i can feel good about drinking that one just about anytime try athletic brewing non-alcoholic brews for yourself use code wisdom to get 15 percent off your first order at athleticbrewing.com that's code w-i-s-d-o-m at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions, and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right, my friends, here is my conversation with Nicholas Cole. All right, Nicholas Cole, a.k.a. Cole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, man. I feel like, uh, I actually feel like I know you already. Uh, you probably get that all the time, but uh, I just, I've been engaging with your content for 
quite a while, found you on Twitter for quite a while. And uh, I actually love these Espresso Hours uh, podcasts that you and your business partner, Dickie Bush, uh, do as well. Because not only are you guys you know, building a really cool business, but you're like giving the behind the scenes in terms of like how you're building it. So um, I'm fired up to talk to you. So, so today we're talking about basically audiences, the value of audiences, something that a lot of us have heard about. But uh, I would say people like you and me who spend a lot of our time, you know, on Twitter and uh, in this world of, you know, where we see everybody talking about the value of building audiences, et cetera. I feel like we, our views can become a little bit skewed because we're so in it. Um, but your average person or corporate executive or what have you, maybe they're not quite as convinced at this stage about, you know, why it's important to you know, potentially grow an audience and that sort of thing. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. And then I want to talk to you about like the nuts and bolts um, of building an audience and how you would actually go about doing it. Um, maybe to start, I wanted to just bring up a, there was a recent podcast uh, episode, Invest Like the Best Episodes with uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy. He had a guy on named Jeremy Giffen, who's a value investor, pretty well, well-respected guy, um, probably a, a lot more well-known after this episode because it went super viral. But uh, his job is basically to find value in places that other people are not really looking for. And one really interesting thing that he had to say on this podcast was that he thinks that having an audience is still undervalued today. Um, and one really interesting way that he put it is he said that he thinks that content creation, so a lot of the stuff that we're doing, podcasting, newsletter writing, et cetera, is still viewed as quote unquote low status by people whose society has traditionally deemed to be high status. So your CEOs, your corporate executives, et cetera. So I want to start there. I want to get your take on that. And then maybe we can just talk a little bit about what you see the value of having an audience actually is. Cool. Funny timing because I just finished listening to that. Oh, episode. really? Yeah. Um, my business partner, Dickie, sent it to me and said it was really interesting. You should listen to it. And I agree. I I feel the same thing, which I, I feel that it is still very low status. The way that it's presented itself in my life is my first business was a ghostwriting agency for executives. You know, back in 2016, 2017, as far as I know, I built the first ghostwriting agency for thought leaders um, and specifically, I I played in the world of you know CEOs, Silicon Valley founders, investors, the that tier of people, yep. and I wrote on behalf of three hundred plus of them, hmm. and so I got a lot of pattern recognition into who they were, what they valued, all sorts of things. And um, early on in the business, you know, it was a profitable business. It was a service company. We ended up scaling it to about twenty three full time employees, eighty concurrent clients, a couple million in revenue. And I took on some seed funding because we were growing so quickly. And so it was this, it, it came off as very sexy. Mm. Oh, you're ghostwriting for all of these executives and founders. Oh, you know, I had these two hotshot Silicon Valley entrepreneurs as angel investors. Mm. And whenever I would talk to people about that business and it came off as I'm this, you know, startup founder, high growth company, yep. I received a lot of status, quote unquote, um, approval, recognition, people going, wow, what you're building is so cool. But the irony was I was making less money 
than I was when I was working for myself as a ghostwriter because mm. I was pouring all the money back into this business. And so I was getting a lot of status, but I wasn't making a lot of money. Mm. And then a couple years later, I decided, you know, I got burned out. I didn't want to do that anymore. Scaled down the business, ended up starting this new company with my business partner, Dickie, which is a education company. We teach people how to start writing online. It's called Ship 30 for 30. And it's very centered around my and his writing on the internet, us quote unquote building audiences, us teaching others how to start writing. And whenever I tell people about this business, it's almost as if I've just told them that I teach kindergarten. <laughs> and I and I it's a very it almost weirded me out the first time I experienced this because I had this company for three years. Mm. I scaled it back and then I started this new company and it was so visceral how different the reactions were. Wow. And is it the online part of it? Are you like, I'm teaching people how to do online writing and that is just seen as like low status compared to I'm working for CEOs? Yes. I think it's the online component and I think it's the writing component. Like I teach people writing. Yeah. It makes yeah. it sound like I'm like a fourth grade poetry club teacher, you know, or something. And so that has been really interesting to observe. And yet the irony is the second business has made me 10 times more money than the first business. Yeah. So second business, low status, high financial return. And so when I heard uh, Jeremy say that on the podcast, I really agreed because it's funny how oftentimes, and now that I've, I've had these two experiences, I sort of see this pa same pattern in the world where things that are very high status tend to not be as lucrative and things that are really lucrative tend to not be as high status. And then the only time that it's both is usually in some form of celebrity, mm. you know? And uh, Naval Ravikant talks about this and it gets talked about in that book. Uh, the I always forget the name. It's like the, the, the Almanac. Naval, 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 the, Manac, Naval Manac or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he talks about that or it gets summarized in that book where it's you have these two games and if you have to choose, you should pick the money game. You shouldn't pick the status game. Mm -hmm. And so sort of circling back to the thing that you originally said, which is a lot of times people are hesitant, like, should I build an audience? Do I want to? Is there value in it? I think oftentimes people associate audience with status in some way. Mm -hmm. And and a lot when I was ghostwriting for all these executives, 90% of them, on our first call would say, I'm not interested in the status. I'm not trying to get famous. I'm not out here. So people like know who I am, but yet they also wanted sort of the benefits that came with the audience. And so if I was to sort of summarize and wrap it all up, I would say thinking of it as building an audience is actually the wrong way to think about it. The goal is not actually to build an audience. The goal is to build a library of content such that you scale yourself. The audience is the byproduct. You don't just wake up and go, I want to build an audience, and then you just build an audience. An audience is human beings. <laughs> an audience isn't an inanimate object, right? Mm -hmm. And so the goal isn't, quote unquote, build an audience. That doesn't even mean anything. The goal is build a valuable library of content such that the right people are attracted into your ecosystem. And what happens is exactly what you said at the start of this podcast, which is, Cole, I feel like I know you. 
Well, why do you feel that way? You feel that way because you consumed part of my library of content before we even started talking. And so the whole idea of quote unquote scaling yourself is taking all of your insights, perspectives, stories, frameworks, mental models, and instead of repeating them over and over and over again to people manually, right? You and I go have coffee, I sit down, like I'm gonna tell you the same story I tell everybody the first time I have coffee with them, right? I'm gonna tell you how I solve problems the same way I tell everyone how I solve specific problems. What you're doing is you're creating assets that repeat all of those things for you mm. infinite, infinitely. And so that is how you scale yourself on the internet. The audience is just the byproduct. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, so one of the reasons of, you know, building an audience or this library of content is exactly what you just said. So, I mean, it's like almost like the, you think about like the job interview and like, the, you know, you first you spend the first couple of conversations in a job interview, like getting to know each other. This is who I am. This is how I think about the world. This is, you know, these are my values, that sort of thing. Um, and when you are out there writing on the internet, writing on the internet or, you know, recording podcasts, uh, you're, you're almost doing that. So you're building this trust with your audience. And I find this all the time from my newsletter and my podcast. I have people coming to me in similar sort of thing. That's like, they, they already like, know, like, okay, they, they trust me. They feel like they are aligned with me on many different things. And you can almost go to like level two, like instantaneously. Um, and I've seen, you know, I've seen some myself, um, although I would say I'm relatively early stage with, on this journey, but I've seen people like you and Dickie and so many others um, not just, I would say, see so many opportunities come to them from having built, I would say, the right audience, right? So, and my, my theory and my thesis is that if you build the right audience, like it almost doesn't matter what you're working on today in terms of your specific project because the right project is going to end up finding you. So I'd be interested in hearing if you agree with that kind of idea. And then maybe just to kind of drive home this value, you know, the value proposition from building a library of content as you described it, like what are some of the most interesting or impactful stories you've seen, whether it's yours or Dickie's or somebody else's in terms of person built library of content, then XYZ happened. Yeah. So a couple interesting things that you said. So first is so many of these words people use to talk about this world have been misused so many times that I, I think that their meaning has become very blurry for a lot of people. So an easy one is when when people say, oh, when you create content, it builds trust. Everybody at every level of experience says that. But very few people actually understand what it means. Mm. And because a lot of these words have been misused and their meaning has been diluted, because we hear them all the time, right? I really like not thinking about being a creator or being a writer from the perspective of me. Whenever possible, I try and remove myself from the equation. And instead, I like thinking about it from the perspective of the reader. Because 
I'm not who matters, right? One of the things that I say over and over again is I am not the main character of the story. The reader is the main character of the story, right? And so I don't think of it, of it like I am building trust. I think of it like my library of content is de-risking it for you, mm -hmm. right? Because the more I de-risk the decision for you, the more that you're just going to enter my ecosystem, right? So all of my content is de-risking all of the questions that you have. Is this person actually going to be able to help me? Do they understand my specific situation? Do they have a framework for this problem that I've encountered? Right? So I like thinking of it from their perspective and not mine. The, the second is the whole idea is like you talked about, um, it's like go, you know, going in for a job interview and you already have this familiarity. I don't, my, my fiance used to get mad at me all the time whenever I would give her advice because she's like, you've never even had a real job. I had one real job, to be <laughs> um, but I've never had to go and and send out my resume and mm. go through that same whole process, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't apply for opportunities. Opportunities come to me. And that is the magnetic field of building a library. A library of content attracts things to you. But we can take that a step further and explain that just like you said, if you build the right audience. So again, it's like clarifying the language. It's not building the right audience. It's creating a niche library. The, the right audience is a byproduct mm, of a niche it. library, yep. right? Yep. And so if I create a certain type of content, I'm going to attract a certain type of person. And the whole goal is for you to build a specific niche category for yourself such that each of your efforts compound over time and you continue to attract more and more of the right people. So you asked for a, a really great example. One of my favorite examples, because it's so easy to understand, is the author Ryan Holiday. Mm -hmm. Most people only know Ryan's work as he writes about stoicism. Right. Most people don't know that he started out as a marketer mm. and his first book was about marketing and PR and interesting ways that you could leverage media. He doubled down on that, wrote a second book about growth hacker marketing and sort of found himself going down this lane of being a marketer. And then one day he wrote a blog post for Tim Ferriss called Stoicism 101. And it was just, his own interest in stoicism and things that he was reading and you know and that blog post ended up going viral got a ton of attention you know tim comes back to him and is like hey this blog post is really popular mm. ryan takes that data point goes to his publisher and says i want to write a book on stoicism publisher goes you're a marketer what do you that's that's a different audience mm -hmm. right publisher goes ah uh, we kind of liked that you were just doubling down on the marketing stuff. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense. And he goes, yep. no, no, no. I, I really think that there's some potential here. So they give him a really low advance, not anything special. And he writes the book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is since his Huge. biggest book, yep. right? And and ended up opening a whole new door. So what happens? Then the publisher goes, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so then what does he do? Well, he continues to double down on that data point and almost... I no, he's done a couple other random things, but almost every other book to since then yep. has been on the topic of stoicism. Right. Yep. 
And now it's YouTube channel, Stoicism, Instagram, Stoicism, Medium, articles about Stoicism, Twitter, Stoicism, right? And so what's happening is every day that goes by, he's creating another asset in the same category that continues to compound and attract people who are interested in Stoicism. So much so that if he goes to his publisher tomorrow and says, I have a new book on something else related to Stoicism, they go, Ryan, you're the smartest guy ever. We love this. He's got this niche library and this compounding audience that's related to that. Book's probably going to become a bestseller. But if he goes to his publisher and goes, you know what? I know I've done all this work. I've built this whole category, but I've decided I'm going to write a relationship book instead. His publisher calls in 12 people and goes, we got a serious problem on our hand, <laughs> right? Why? Yeah. Why does that happen? Because he's achieved dominance mm. in a niche, yep. and now he goes, I don't want to be in that niche anymore. Right. That's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a great example. So you guys, you and Dickie do a tremendous amount of work on this whole idea of sort of short data filled loops or feedback loops, right? So so writing, uh, seeing what resonates and doubling down on what resonates and in and, and doing a lot of small bets. So if a tweet works really well, then you bring it to a blog post. If it's a successful blog post, maybe it should be a video. If it's a successful video, maybe it should be a podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And so I love that sort of data-driven mindset that you guys bring to it. Um, and so that that sort of is where I wanted to go next in terms of figuring out exactly what you should write about. So let's say we've got a theoretical corporate executive here and this corporate executive is saying, okay, um, uh, Cole's convinced me like, you know, uh, it's valuable to have a library of content that can do your work for you while you're sleeping, open doors for you, potentially scale your thinking uh, much more than you'd ever be able to do uh, personally. I'm convinced that this is a valuable thing for me to do, but there are so many hurdles and roadblocks and unknowns uh, that it's I'm afraid to even start, right? So I don't know what topic um, or, you know, I don't know how narrow I should go in my niche. I don't know platforms. I don't know processes. And I don't know how the heck I would have time to do this. So I want to talk to you about some of those things and how you would get over some of those hurdles. And so we already started to talk about topics and niches, but generally speaking, um, how how do you think about how narrow to go in a niche? Well, the first answer is nothing productive happens sitting at your desk thinking about it. Mm. Zero. You know, I my my first and only job after college was working at an ad agency. And it was a small strategy agency. And so we would do these big projects where you'd work with a national brand and they would ask for this big strategy and they'd pay you a ton of money and you'd go assemble this whole deck, you know, for nine months, 12 months. And then you'd do this big grand reveal and be like, here's your whole strategy. And and they would pay you a lot of money for it. And then you give it to them and then they wouldn't do anything with it. Right. And I did that over and over and over again. That was my first job. And then when I went and started my ghostwriting agency, on every single onboarding call, I would tell the client that story and I would say, we are not going to sit here and put together a strategy for the next six to 12 months. It's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is we're going to start with one topic. What's one thing that you can share? And we're just going to start there and we're going to start publishing things. 
And, you know, half the clients would be like, you're the expert, I trust you, you know, and the other half clients would go, I don't think that's the right way. And then I'd have to convince them, you know, but what happened every single time is I, like for case in point, I remember I was working with the CEO of a publicly traded biotech company, super smart guy. And he goes, I want to write about biotech. So we start writing these articles, you know, trends in biotech, new innovations that are happening, all of these things. And his articles are getting moderate traction. And then one day he, he comes to our weekly call and he goes, yeah, I was just at my son's baseball game and I was just sort of watching the players on the field and it got me thinking. And he ended up sharing this personal story and, you know, sort of lessons learned being a dad and how you nurture work ethic and things like that. Totally outside what we had been writing about. Hit publish, 24 hours later, half a million views, totally viral, tons of people commenting, bunch of other CEOs and managers in his world emailing him being like, what are you doing sharing these stories? That's mm. so weird, right? <laughs> Going back to the status thing, yeah, like, yeah. why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And our next call we get on and he's all over the place, you know, he's like, ah. Uh, I had no idea this was going to resonate, you know, but I've got people in my industry telling me like, this is the wrong thing to do, mm. but I'm getting all these emails and comments from other dads saying, mm -hmm. wow, that was so helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. And my biggest learning, and I started to see that he was one of our earliest clients and I started to see that over and over and over again, which is oftentimes people think they know what they want to write about. And it's not until you start writing that you learn a, is this actually something I enjoy writing about? And B, is this what the reader values, mm. right? Because sure, he was a accomplished biotech CEO, but when it came down to it, you know, his articles on biotech were like, yeah, you know, it's okay. But, mm -hmm. but then he tapped into something else and turns out his real talent, you know, and, and the real thing that he had to share was more on the parenting side. Mm. And then he ended up writing all these pieces that went crazy viral, got published in all these major publications. And even though they didn't have to do with biotech, they started opening really interesting doors of opportunity, conversations. It made employees feel like they knew him more, mm -hmm. like all of these cool tangential benefits. So I just really like emphasizing for people, you are not, if you're sitting there going, I have to have this all perfectly figured out before I take step one, you're making a mistake. You need to just start publishing data points. Yeah. Yeah. Start publishing. Yeah. That, that to me, that's been, that's been a really valuable way to do it. And cause I started out kind of, and I don't feel like, you know, I'm personally in the quote unquote final state of where I need to be in terms of having figured out my own personal niche. But like I started out all over the place, like writing about everything about habits and, you know, just, you know, anything like under this intentional wisdom banner that could, you know, involve like improving some aspect of your life. I'm still way too wide. So like the three categories that I focus on today are like one would be fitness after 40, two would be like alcohol-free living, which is something I've really leaned into. And then third is like habits, routines, and motivations. And it's been kind of interesting to watch like what's resonated and what's not um, on the alcohol free side. Like I did this video on YouTube that was, you know, eight surprises after 120 days of not drinking. Right. And that was really interesting because it like did nothing for the first 200 days. And then it just ripped 
and it, and now it's had like 30,000 views over the last like three months or something. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And that's actually given me a ton of data because there's like, I don't know how many comments, but there's dozens and dozens of comments and with people with views and questions and things like that. Um, and then the other like really viral thing that I had to do, which almost, there's almost like a parallel, parallel with uh, what you guys do with Ship 30 for 30, but I wrote this thread on, so I did a hundred pushups a day for 30 days and I timed it. And I wrote a thread basically on like exactly how I did it, what I learned. And that thing like is responsible for like two thirds of my Twitter followers. It like absolutely blew up. So those are two interesting data points. I don't know if it's, if it's, I know it's not gotten me, like I said, to like final state, but I think it's, um, it's helped me to see like what resonates, I guess. I mean, is that the type of thing that you're talking about? Just like shots on continued shots on goal to, to see what resonates. Yeah. And no, even when you get to a point of clarity where you feel like you understand what your niche and your category is, you should still be creating new data points to always experiment with, well, what are other opportunities out here I haven't considered yet? The way I like thinking about it is just because a data point performs well doesn't mean that you have to double down on it. Mm. It's just an option. Yep. Right. I've, I've had articles and threads go massively viral about my fitness routine. It's like, I, I don't want to be a fitness writer, mm -hmm. but it's an option. Like, oh, interesting that that worked. Yep. You know, same thing with some with relationships or same thing with finance or crypto or whatever. They're all just options. And so, yeah, I just, I'm a very big fan of not sitting and trying to figure it all out and instead just put things out in the world and start learning in real time. And the second framework I'll give you and, you know, anyone listening, I think this is a really easy way of thinking about it. The three things that you listed out were topics, mm. you know, alcohol-free living topic. Mm -hmm. The clarifying question to ask is, this is a framework we teach in Ship 30 called for who, so that. Mm. So you take the topic and for who, so who specifically are you tailoring that topic for so that they can do what? Mm. So I'll give you a couple different examples because this is the clarity of thought that most people do not have. They just go, I want to write about and then broad topic. So alcohol-free living for college athletes so that you can make it to the NBA is very different than alcohol-free living in your 60s mm. so that you can you know, increase your longevity by another decade. Mm -hmm. Those are two completely different audiences, same topic. Yep. And what most people do is they come up with a topic and go, no, 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 I want to write about alcohol-free living for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you do that? Yes, but play it out. If someone comes along and goes, I'm going to narrow, you know, I'm going to niche down and I'm only going to write about alcohol-free living for college athletes so that they can make it to the NBA, that segment of your, I'm going to write for everybody, you're never going to touch. They're going to beat you. They're going to crush you. Because they only are talking to that one specific audience. Yep. So now think about all the different tiny segments within the larger topic of alcohol-free living. And if each individual creator owns a specific segment, then you being really broad, 
who are you going to attract? Right. Right. You're not because any individual segment is going to go to the specific creator that's speaking directly to them. And so one of the things that I try and remind people of so often is, you know, how specific should you get? As specific as you possibly can get. Mm. Right. Because the goal is for the person to be scrolling through their feed or, you know, whatever platform they're on and go, not, oh, this broad topic is sort of interesting to me. The goal is for them to come across what you're writing and go, this is eerie. Mm. I can't believe how specific right. this is. How this do you is like know? Specifically for me, this guy's like listening in on my Alexa because he knows the exact problem I have. Exactly. And when you achieve that, it's there's this irony of the more specific you get, the more opportunity you unlock. Because the internet's job is to go take that specific persona and then go find everyone who's like them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So probably a common mistake is that people think if they get super, super specific and targeted with their with whatever they are. So we use the example of alcohol-free living and you kind of niche that down, which is which I love, which I need to spend some more time thinking about. But like the same thing could work for like, okay, if you're in the insurance industry, it's like, you know, and you are, you know, actuaries are your audience. And it is like, okay, specific, you know, um, valuation issues that life insurance actuaries face or something like, like, Mm -hmm. Way more specific than you would be like, oh, you know, like there's only a limited amount of people that will actually care about this. But to your point, the people that do care about it really care about it. And those people care about it to the point that they're probably likely to pay for this type of content if it is like super specific to them, right? Easily. Yeah, you can do it with any industry. Like when we go through this exercise hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in Ship 30, you know, someone goes, I want to write about entrepreneurship. Okay, there's lots of different types of entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. Are we are we talking bootstrapped or venture capital backed? That in itself is a huge difference, mm -hmm. right? Cuz if you're VC backed, you have totally different problems than if you're bootstrapped. And you can't and then and the the fallacy is when someone goes, "I can speak to both." No you can't. Mm. Not not effectively you can't. Yep. You can broadly but then if someone comes along and goes, I only speak to venture-backed entrepreneurs, and then another person comes along and goes, I only speak to bootstrapped entrepreneurs, both of them are going to outperform you, which is, I just speak to entrepreneurs. Yep. And this, it's, it's this, you know, you really have to unwind people's thinking. And the biggest takeaway that I've had over the past couple of years, even just, you know, writing, I've been writing on the internet for more than a decade. I've ghostwritten for all of these people. Now I've taught all of, you know, 10,000 plus writers in Ship 30. My biggest takeaway is what has been revealed to me is how few people have clarity of thought. That is the ultimate benefit of writing. Writing is a forcing function for clarifying what exactly you mean. What exactly are you saying? And most people just come up with an idea and they stop at version one. I want to write about productivity. You have no idea what you're talking about yet. I want to write about entre entrepreneurship. For who so that? They're like, for everybody. Okay, no, no. That's like going to the gym, picking up one dumbbell, doing three bicep curls and going, I did a whole workout. You haven't done anything, hmm. right? 
And so, so much of the work that I feel like I do is is continuing to push people and go, no, a level deeper for who? Mm. No, no, no. Specifically, who who within that? No, who within that? Mm. Right? And you have to get four or five levels deep before you realize, oh, I'm not talking to all entrepreneurs. I'm talking to bootstrapped entrepreneurs who want to start an agency specifically in the health and wellness industry so that they can right xyz and until you get that level of clarity you you you're not accomplishing what you think you're accomplishing and would you say that that is like a key differentiator between like let's say i'm writing on the internet or i'm recording a podcast or something as like a side project or like a pet project versus I actually want to make money from this endeavor and I actually want it to be a business. Is that like one of the major unlocks, would you say, from going from A to B? Yes. I mean, I think whether money is the goal or not, even if the goal is I want to help a lot of people, right? You're not going to be able to reach the people that you want to help unless you tell the people you want to help this is specifically for you. But to your point on the monetization side, absolutely. You're in the beginning, it's okay to experiment, try lots of things, put out lots of data points. But the only way you're going to start monetizing, whether it's through a digital product or a service, a coaching program, whatever it is, is you have to be very specific on for who, and then more importantly, so that, mm. right? The only way that someone's going to give you money is if you tell them, I'm going to give you this thing so that you can unlock this outcome. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what they're paying for. No one's paying you ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars just to tell them about a topic. Mm. Right. No, like one of the ironies of as we've built Chip 30 in this education company is no one wants to learn. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm so excited to sit there and learn. Yeah. Right. The only reason we as human beings care about learning is because we know learning is a means to unlocking an outcome. So it's not just, I'm going to teach you topic or I'm going to explain topic. It has to be, I'm going to give you this knowledge so that you can unlock what outcome. Mm. And again, you have to go five levels deep. Most people go, they stop at level one and they're like, so you can live a happy life. What does that mean? So that you can make an impact. What does that mean? So that you can live an authentic life experience. What does that mean? You don't know. You don't know what you're saying. So you need to go four or five levels deep and go so that you can and then get as tangible as possible. So on one of your recent uh, Espresso Hour conversations with your business partner, Dickie, you guys talked about how you're building out the shipyard, your new space in Miami, uh, which is awesome to hear about. And I uh, would love to see it at some point. But uh, you talked about how at some point you might want to do like creator audits and, um, you know, sit down with creators and go through their businesses and, you know, help them think about exactly the type of stuff that we're talking about. I would like to officially volunteer for that right now <laughs> because like just talking to you, like even, you know, the last five minutes has given me more clarity in terms of, okay, this, these are the right questions I need to be asking to figure out like how I need to niche my own, you know, efforts down more. So, it would be super cool to like dive into that like really deep and get the experts to weigh in. But well, so just real quick, yeah. just to make this super tangible for everyone, yeah. right? This idea of doubling down. I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid every day. So what did you just do? You just gave me a data point. Right? So we're thinking about building this thing. We're mm -hmm. thinking about doing this thing. 
you raise your hand and you mm. go, I would like to volunteer myself, mm. right? And the average creator goes, cool, thanks. And they don't do anything with it. Mm. They don't think about mm -hmm. it. But I'm sitting here tucking that away in my brain going, there's another signal mm -hmm. telling us that this is a great idea. Yep. So we should keep doubling down on all of these things, yep. right? So it doesn't matter if it's happening in the writing or if it's happening in conversations. You are always surrounded by data. You're surrounded by feedback and and signal and and people and platforms trying to tell you what the answer is. And so you sitting at your desk, looking out the window, sipping your tea, you're lighting the candle, you got a chapeau on, you think you're the next Hemingway, right? Nothing's going to come from that. Right, right. You have to talk and interact with your readers and you have to get that signal telling you where the opportunity is. Great point. Great point. Okay, so let's talk about uh, in the virtual world in terms of where you would actually be getting some of that feedback. So one of the questions I think that people have, especially if they're not steeped in this world of content creation and social media, is where the heck should I publish this stuff, right? Traditionally, people started blogs. Um, maybe they wrote a, a book. They, maybe they went down the self-publishing route. Um, maybe, well, there's lots of different options. So Think about some of the more popular ones uh, today are, okay, you were um, you know, talking about the executive that in biotech that you were uh, working with. I could imagine such executive like writing maybe on LinkedIn for a more quote unquote professional audience. So LinkedIn is one option. Um, a lot of people, probably myself included, uh, maybe are a little more cautious on LinkedIn because they, let's say this is a side project they're working on. They might be cautious around their, you know, day job colleagues seeing all this kind of stuff and what perceptions they might have. Twitter is another option. You, Dickie, many others have been super successful on Twitter, but lots of concerns there. If Elon Musk is currently blowing this thing up, it's changing names by the day. There's all kinds of changes going on there. So it seems like the sands are shifting. So maybe that's risky. I don't know. It's, it's almost like politicized these days, too. And then you've got threads launching, you've got YouTube, that's got all kinds of, you know, uh, things to think about as well. And then you've got newsletters. So your corporate, go back to our kind of corporate executive, okay, I need to start putting out content. I, I think that this would be really valuable for me. I can see the value over time. I think this will attract opportunities to me. Where the heck should I publish? Okay. So lots, lots in here. First of all, worth explaining. I've been writing on the internet since 2007. I've seen a lot of platforms rise, fall, be popular, suddenly be not popular. People have been saying, you know, YouTube is too saturated since 2010. People were saying email marketing died in 2013, you know. Mm. People said Facebook ads stopped working in 2000 you know, 17, 18, right? So all of these things, it's worth reminding yourself that your, your perception of what's happening is limited to the echo chamber that you're in, right? So if you're in a specific echo chamber on Twitter, you think the whole platform's going to go up in flames tomorrow and it's all a disaster and it's the most toxic place ever. If you're in a different echo chamber, you go, I can't believe that Twitter has this much free value. Why would I ever send my kids to college when literally everything you want to learn is for free on Twitter? Mm -hmm. Two completely different echo chambers, mm -hmm. right? The second thing is, I love whenever people go, 
there's so many different platforms. Like, which one is best? Which which platform should I write on? Okay. Each one of these major platforms has hundreds of millions of users. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Quora, Medium, Instagram. Okay. So that's sort of like asking, I want to move to a city with a lot of opportunity. Which one is better, New York, LA, or London? Mm, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. And so <laughs> I think what's, and then the follow up, what's hard is then people pick a platform. So say they pick Facebook for whatever reason. They're like, I want to start writing on Facebook. They write two things on Facebook. They aren't immediately the biggest, most viral things ever. And they go, Facebook must be the wrong platform. I hate to break it to you. The city is not the problem, Mm. right? It's that you have some work to do in order to clarify your thinking, right? You probably walked in and were like, I'm going to write about this big, broad topic. You got to go four or five levels deeper for who so that you have to try, you know, like people overestimate how difficult it is to get started and people underestimate how many iterations you have to go through in order to really achieve levels of success. And so this whole idea of platforms and everything, all of it is just mental masturbation. The reality is these are all very easy problems to solve. They almost all of them are just, I make a choice and I start, right? I started writing on Quora in 2014. Wrote on Quora for three years. Then I pivoted to Medium. Did that for three years. Then I pivoted to Twitter. Did that for three years. Now I'm experimenting with LinkedIn, right? None of this is a marriage decision, Mm. but we all get in our own way and we make up these obstacles because really the thing we don't want to do is we don't want to sit down and clarify our thinking Mm. because that's the hard part. So it's doing the work, uh, essentially. You, you, you need to Shocker, do the work. Yeah, right? it, it almost doesn't matter which which platform you're on. Pick one and just start hammering away at it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, for me personally, I think that I have, I think there's a little bit of, like, shiny object syndrome. Like, I've focused mostly on Twitter. So my So my platforms are Twitter, podcast, newsletter. But I also have like a tiny little threads account out there, tiny little Instagram. And those are just kind of out there existing. And I'm almost like, I should just shut those down completely because I have no, actually, now that I think about it, I have a Facebook account too. It's like those get zero energy or effort toward them. And so do you think it's best to just pick maybe one or two and just get after it? I would say for the first year or two, you are far better off picking and focusing on one thing. Mm. Again, people really underestimate how difficult it is to get really good at writing a specific type of thing. You don't just start a newsletter, write two newsletters, and all of a sudden you have a successful newsletter, right? You don't just make a Twitter account, post two tweets, and then magically you're this super successful Twitter writer. Each one of these platforms and each one of these mediums is a different sub-language of writing. Right, writing a Twitter thread is different than writing on an Instagram caption. Is different than writing a Medium article. Is different than writing a LinkedIn post. Right, so it it's this weird barbell where it has never been easier to get started, and us as human beings, we have a we are notoriously bad at thinking. If I do something one time, I'm going to be amazing at it. You know, and so you have to fight this this human weakness. And 
shiny object syndrome is because that's uncomfortable, you go, well, let me try and do 10 things at once. Mm -hmm. What is that? That's a coping mechanism, right? Pick one thing and go, I'm going to spend a year getting really good at this. Okay. So back to our theoretical corporate executive, uh, narrow down their topic on what they want to focus on, um, pick the platform, let's say, and are ready to get going. Now, the question is, if you're in situation like me, for instance, you are full-time job, you've got, uh, you maybe have kids, you maybe like have other outside activities, like you coach sports teams, you got a lot going on. You got a very full life already. And you're like, okay, this is over here. This is like a nice to do, would be cool to start writing, but when the hell am I actually going to do this? So um, you've got a lot of data points on this now at this point, having, you know, have instructed thousands of people through Ship 30. Like, tell me how people are figuring out, you know, the time part of all of this. And, and maybe another way of asking the question is like, how much volume do you actually need to start to gain something that resembles traction? So again, it all depends on what your goal is. I, my personal belief is if you're someone in a, you know, corporate leadership position, an executive, a successful founder, department head, you probably don't need and, and probably don't care about, but you probably don't need as big of an audience as you think. You know, again, it's people are so extreme. It's like, I'm either not doing anything or, oh, I guess I have to go chase 2 million followers. Mm -hmm. I always like pointing out, it's like, good on you for thinking it was that easy, you know, because it's that's not how it happens. So first of all, you don't need as much as you think you need. Second is so much of your value is in the things that you've learned over the course of your career, right? Like you have so much pattern recognition, the way you make decisions. Those are all really valuable things that aren't going to get passed on to the next generation or get passed on to your peers because they're just living in your head. This was the thesis of my whole ghostwriting agency. Mm. And so the way to think about it is not, oh, how do I post 18 times a day and how do I build this huge audience? The way to think about it is, Little by little, how do I create these assets that represent me and allow me to scale myself on the internet? And you start to, you know, just play it out. If you dedicate a little bit of time every week to write 500 words on what you think about a specific topic, you know, here's my framework for hiring people in this position at this stage of a company, right? 500 words. It's not, we're not talking about writing war and peace here, you know? And you do that once a week. Well, a year goes by. Now you have 52 pieces that have scaled you. Mm. So you have one, one year of work, 500 words a week, not very much. And now you have this library that lives forever. That's a pretty incredible mm -hmm. ROI mm -hmm. on your effort. Yep. Right. So I just, again, I, I like removing the emphasis of audience. I don't think that that's the focal point. Mm. I think the focal point is how do I build these assets that notice every time you have conversations with someone, every time you're in a meeting, every time you hire somebody new, every time you're repeating the same, here's mm -hmm. how to think about mm -hmm. it, here's how to solve this problem. You should just be putting pen to paper and scaling yourself and going, I already articulated it. Go read this. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. I've, I've had that experience personally myself a number of times. So like a bunch of the things that I've written on, like I wrote a little primer on zone two training, um, wrote a whole explanation for like this decision to quit alcohol. Like the, the amount of times those pieces have come up again and again in conversations I'm having either in person or online and just being able to point people back to those is, is hugely valuable. So I love that emphasis on the asset um, as well. And like you said, like 500 words a week is doable. So I think you fit it into your schedule where you can, like, I love the framework you guys have with ship 30. So it, you're, you know, you positioned it as a 30 day challenge, write 250 words or whatever it is a day for 30 days and establish that habit. I mean, it's the type of thing that I think if you can fit it into your schedule, like 30 minutes, a couple of times a week, uh, should get you to that 500 words, um, I think. And before you know it, you've got a pretty substantial um, uh, library built up. Um, but let's take the other side of that. So let's say I'm a CEO I am, or, or a founder or somebody who is in this, what I call kind of cash rich, time poor type of situation. They're like, that's great, Cole. You know, even though you've just laid it out as not a very big time commitment, like you should see my schedule. Like, you know, people need to talk to my assistant like six months in advance if they want to even think about having coffee with me. Like not going to happen. Like there's literally no time in the schedule. Um, another route uh, that some people go down is kind of like the ghost writing or outsourcing um, route. You mentioned, obviously, you built the ghostwriting agency. You've literally just uh, published a new book called uh, The Art and Business of Ghostwriting. So congratulations on that. That's a uh, launch seems to have gone incredibly well based on the volume of posts I've seen in my Twitter feed uh, from a lot of people saying that they bought the book and how great it is and all that kind of stuff. So you guys, uh, and by the way, you guys broke down exactly how you did that launch on the latest uh, Espresso Hour. So I'd point people there to check that out. Um but anyways, on this idea of like outsourcing um, or ghostwriting, again, back to our executive, um, I wonder how you think about that. And I do just want to bring up this point because it's another data point on this because it's interesting to me that uh, a few kind of well-known Twitter folks, Sahil Bloom, Romine Sheth, and Teddy Mitrosilis, who was a guest on this podcast, recently announced that they're launching a new personal brand building agency. It's called Alt. Alto Studios. And what they're basically promising is to, I think, do exactly this, work with corporate executives, help them establish a content strategy, produce the content with them, for them, and then distribute the content, which I would imagine that would potentially even be the biggest challenge for a lot of um, executives who don't spend a lot of time on some of these social networks. But that, that was an interesting data point for me because these guys are all the real deal. And if they're seeing a big opportunity here, I imagine that there really is one. So tell me your thoughts just generally on this idea of like how attractive it is potentially to work with a ghostwriter or some other form of kind of outsourced service here. Yeah. So first of all, on the, the executive side where they go, my schedule is so busy, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's an entrepreneurship sort of cliche phrase saying, which is, you know, you're either working in the business or you're working on the business, mm -hmm. right? And I find for as smart and talented as a lot of these executives and department heads are, they struggle to think about 
creating assets in that way. They're very stuck working in the business and they can rationalize 19 different ways why they should continue working in the business. Mm -hmm. And you should think of creating content as your opportunity to step outside for a moment and work on the business because the content is the compounding vehicle. Whereas, yeah, your schedule's crazy, but you're turning and burning. There's no compounding. You're just, I'm showing up to another meeting. I'm showing up to another meeting, right? And so an extreme example, we talk about this in the context of freelancers and ghostwriters. It's like the difference between the freelancer who works 100% of the time. So they've maxed out their hours. They have no other free time. They go, you should see my schedule. Versus the ghostwriter who goes, I'm only going to work 80% of my total amount of hours. And I'm going to spend the other 20% playing with new tools like ChatGPT, mm-hmm. right? Working in the business and working on the mm-hmm. business. Okay. Play that out over three years. Which one of those people is going to make more money, have more efficiency, have more compounding, have more opportunity? Yeah. I mean, if you're working on the business, I feel like you're just going to see a lot more potential ways to improve the business and probably see a lot more opportunities that are coming down the pipe. It's it's always going to be the latter. And again, I ghost wrote for so many of these executives. So many of them were crazy busy. In the beginning, they said the same thing to me. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't even the outcomes. They started looking forward to these weekly calls and creating these pieces because they went, this is the only 30 minutes mm-hmm. of my week mm-hmm. when I actually get to think about how I'm doing what I'm doing. That's really interesting. Yep. Right? So the the value and the benefit is actually giving yourself a moment to pause and go, well, wait, what is my hiring framework? What is my problem-solving framework, right? Because once you're aware of it, well, now you can do something with it. Now you can scale it, right? And and if you don't want to do that yourself, yeah, there's so much opportunity. You know, I see all these new agencies popping up. It's the same business I built six years ago, seven years ago, you know? And I knew seven years ago this was going to be a huge category because the demand for I need help creating text-based content is only going up. There isn't a world where tomorrow less people need that than today, Mm. right? And so if you don't want to do it yourself, yeah, hire an agency, hire a ghostwriter, work with them. And then of course, this is like a huge part in my book where everybody goes, I don't think I can work with a ghostwriter. They don't understand my voice. Okay. You don't even understand your voice. (laughs) You don't even know what you want. You Mm. can't articulate what you want, right? Going back to the five levels deep. You're like, I want to write about productivity and nobody understands my voice. Nope. You just walked in the gym, picked up a dumbbell, did three bicep curls and thought that you did a workout, Mm. right? And so, so much, I'm such a purist when it comes to understanding the root of the root of the root and and differentiating between I want a short-term outcome versus I'm going to build a skill that compounds over the long-term. And so, so often, executives, founders, industry leaders, whatever, they can rationalize nine different ways to Sunday why they can't take a step forward. But it all comes back to just getting in your own way. And really, the root of the root is, you know you don't know what you're talking about yet. You haven't clarified your thinking. And you haven't given yourself the opportunity to try. That's the skill. Yeah. I mean, that clarity of thought point is powerful. And whether you are doing it by putting pen to paper yourself, which I think probably is the most effective way, because I'm 
I'm very much in this camp where I, I believe that I don't know what I think until I start writing and then it becomes more clear to me. Um, but whether you're doing it through putting pen to paper yourself or through, to your point, like working with a ghostwriter and that's to me, like that's a kind of an aha moment, like working with the CEO or the founder or the department head and them spending that 30 minutes a week or whatever it is. And like, that's when they actually, that's not when they like quote unquote create content. That's when they figure out what they think. And then the content is like a byproduct, um, of that. Now, one thing you mentioned was you mentioned ChatGPT. So I want to talk about that because there is a perception out there that, okay, we've got these large language models now. And oh, by the way, Cole, sorry, dude, you're in the wrong business because writing just got commoditized. So don't know what you're doing going down, putting a uh, book about ghostwriting out because, uh, you know, not going to be relevant anymore. Um, these things can uh, do the work for you. So tell me about I'm sure you disagree with what I just said, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. And I want to quote a tweet uh, from you recently. So you said, and I quote, I think a lot of creators slash companies have this wrong, and I would love to share some new ways of thinking. So share some new ways of thinking about artificial intelligence and writing with me now. Yeah. So here's the easiest way to think about it. Did Instagram ruin photographers? Or did Instagram create more net new photographers? What? Yeah. Instagram created a lot more photographers, right? Did Photoshop ruin designers? Did it kill that whole industry? Or did it create exponentially net new designers? It was the latter, right? So, okay, so let's just repeat the pattern. Is AI going to destroy writing as an industry? Or is it going to create more net new writers? I'm of the camp that it is the latter. And the reason that I know it's the latter, aside from the fact that we have so much historical pattern recognition around every time there's a new technology, everyone says the sky is falling, and really it just makes the whole sky bigger, right? Like over and over and over again. But the reason that I know people have this wrong with AI is because I see how people use AI as writers. And they post screenshots and they post videos and they go, I here's the prompt that I put. And it's always one of two things. It's like, I gave it this input and the output is incredible. Or they go, the output is terrible, right? And both are wrong. Mm. Because in both cases, the input that you gave it was so vague, goes back to clarity of thinking. You gave it a one sentence prompt. Write me a headline, right? You gave it such little clarified thinking that when it spits out a big, fancy output and you think it's awesome, it's funny that you think it's awesome because I think it's trash, right? So it didn't produce anything of quality. And then if it gives you garbage output, you go, I guess the technology doesn't work. And I go, no, the technology's fine. You didn't give it clarified thinking, right? And so as I, you know, I have to go through and articulate all of these writing frameworks for so many people. So what's happening in my brain is all I'm doing is I'm going through my own algorithm in my brain, right? It's a, it's a gazillion different if-then statements. And because I'm so aware of what happens in my brain as I write, I see the technology and I go, the bottleneck, <laughs> the bottleneck is not the technology. The bottleneck is that humans don't know what to ask it for. Mm. We do not have the clarity of thought to give it proper direction. 
And so I believe that as more and more people realize, oh, in order to use AI effectively, I need to be the one to give it the thinking, what's going to happen? More and more people are going to create and leverage their thinking, which means we are going to create more and more writers than we ever have in history before. Because the technology can be a Ferrari, but you got to put a driver in the front seat, right? And you can't just put anyone in the front seat. You have to put someone who understands how to give it clarified thinking. Mm. So I am 100% of the belief that this is just going to create more writers and more thinkers. And the differentiator is no longer your ability to write a pretty sentence or your ability to choose one adjective over another. The real differentiator of skill is your ability to provide the AI and the technology with clarified thinking mm. and to be able to vocalize it. Okay. And so in your new book, are you advocating that, you know, people pursuing ghostwriting as a career become expert users of ChatGPT or whatever the tool is to help them scale? Or how, how are you thinking about that? I think whether you want to use the technology or not, or the degree to which, mm -hmm. if you want to use it 10% of the time or 90% of the time, either way, the thing that matters, again, the bottleneck is you understanding the thinking framework. Mm -hmm. So, so much of my book is explaining, here's how to think about writing for a specific person. You can't ask AI to help you until you understand how to think about it, right? That's the whole thing that people aren't wrapping their heads around is like, you can't just open ChatGPT and go, I have a client. Can you go strike me 800 words about productivity? ChatGPT is going to give you trash, mm -hmm. right? But if you understand the framework, right? In the book, I explain there's five different archetypes of client voices. You go through, you understand the framework. You're like, oh, I can recognize my client is archetype number two. I understand the qualities of archetype number two. Okay, when I go to leverage the technology, I'm going to articulate those qualities to AI so that the output that it gives me is reflective of these qualities and of this framework. Okay, two writers using AI, the one that leverages that thinking is going to drastically outperform the person who just goes, write me 800 words, right? So again, the tech is just going to make and attract way more writers than ever before. But now the gap, the skill gap, right, is going to get wider because less and less of the value is on the I wrote 800 words mm. and more of the value is I have clarified thinking and understand what type of 800 words I need to generate. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, I've learned quite a bit in this conversation already. Um, I want to zoom out to finish here. Uh, I know we've spent the almost entirety of our conversation talking about uh, audiences and building libraries of content, the why, the how, all that kind of stuff. We didn't get into the the coal origin story much or the coal fitness routines or anything like that. So, and I know there's a long history of, uh, you know, bodybuilding experience and all that kind of stuff. So maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point, but, um, but I wanted, I do want to zoom out and ask you um, my standard closing question, which I, I think I'm very interested to hear your answer because um, I've been really impressed with the career that you've built for yourself and the life that you are building for yourself. Um, so here it is. What is one thing that you have figured out in life that most others haven't? Hmm. 
the problem is so many things come to mind. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I've learned so many lessons that are very impactful. I I think probably the the guiding north star is all everything that you want, everything, everything comes back to simplicity is velocity. It is it is way harder to make things simple than people realize. You know, simplicity in every area of your life is very difficult to achieve. And if you notice, most people's problem in some way comes back to how complicated they're making things, mm -hmm. right? Why do we chase 10 different things at the same time? Well, because we think we need to do more, not do less, mm -hmm. right? Where you always make the most progress when you do less, but do it well, opposed to doing more. Like I love when friends come to me and they're like, I'm swamped, I'm overworked, I'm burned out, I'm drained, I really need to change something in my life. What else should I be doing? Mm -hmm. You don't have a what else should you be doing problem. You have a what should I stop doing problem. And no matter how many times I have that conversation with people, no matter how often I point it out, they just go, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, do you think I should start writing on Twitter tomorrow? Or like, Everyone always wants to do more. No one wants to do less. But the whole secret is saying no, doing less, doing it well. And when you do that, simplicity is velocity. Everything moves faster. I love that. Love it. Uh, and that comes back to me needing to get to Miami to, for a therapy session with you and Dickie <laughs> and so I can get some clarity on my own creator business. But uh that's awesome, man. Thank you for that. I, I, that. Those are some wise words. I appreciate that. Um, okay. We mentioned the book, The Art and Business of Ghostwriting. Highly recommend everybody goes and checks that out. Um, of course, follow Nick uh, on, or I should say Cole on Twitter. Um, what are you at? Nicholas Cole? Is that what it is on Twitter? Yeah. Nicholas Cole 77. No Nic H. Everyone always throws an H in there. I'll link it. Um, and where else, should, where else should people find you or what should they do next if they uh, loved everything you said in this conversation? Yeah. Hit me up on Twitter. You know, I'm around. Um, would love to have anyone that wants to join in the next Ship 30 cohort. The next one's in October. But otherwise, you know, I just enjoy jamming on these topics. I feel really passionately about all of these things. No one explained any of this to me when I graduated. I graduated from college with a degree in fiction writing, and I was like, how do I become a successful writer, right? Nobody explained any of this to me. So I just feel very passionately about paying it forward, sharing the things that I've had to learn the hard way, and, and helping people get started. I hate seeing people get in their own way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I personally find a tremendous amount of value from what you guys put out there every day. I mentioned Twitter and Espresso Hour podcast and just, I, I love it. Um, so as, as someone who's in the content creator world, to me, I'm just picking up so much stuff from you guys all the time. So appreciate you putting Thanks the value that. out there into the world. It's awesome stuff. And like you said, you are a prime example of everything that you are teaching others and that you spoke about on this podcast today. So Cole, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks. You asked some great questions. I, I've had too many podcasts talking about my whole gaming, bodybuilding, passive. So I actually really enjoy getting to talk about things that are more future leaning. So thanks. Awesome, man. Thank you. Man, Cole dropped some wisdom bombs there. Listen, if you are serious about embarking on a journey of content creation and audience development yourself, check out what Cole and his business partner, Dickie Bush, are putting out there on Twitter and their podcast and their Ship 30 for 30 program. 
There's a reason these guys have been so successful. They have a knack for breaking down all of this stuff into simple, repeatable frameworks. And this episode honestly was just the tip of the iceberg. I'll link to everything you need and all their handles and everything else in the episode description. Before we go, just a quick plug for my newsletter, also called Intentional Wisdom. If you miss an episode of the podcast, no worries. I recap them all in the newsletter. It's one email every other week. It's the best of what I'm learning from guests just like Cole. And I also share everything I'm reading and watching and listening to to help you bolster your own content diet. So check it out, gregcampion.substack.com. Would love to have you along on that journey. Finally, finally, please leave me a comment and a five-star review if you think that's warranted. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, it really helps me and it really helps others to find the podcast. Okay, that's it, my friends. I will see you next time.